Welcome to What the If News. This is good music to wake up to in the morning. Oh yeah, it's really what gets me out of bed. <laughs> Ooh, it keeps going too. Uh, we're back. We've been away for a little bit, um, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, those of you who follow us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, what the if show on Twitter or, uh, what the if page on, uh, on Facebook, uh, may know you may have even been besieged by <laughs> posts about a video game called mist and wondered what WTF. Um, but, uh, I'm making a documentary about this video game called mist, which if you know about it, if if you recognize that name and you're interested and you didn't know I'm making a documentary about it, reach out. I'm looking for great stories on that. But I had a Kickstarter, very successful. So thank you to every one of you um, who responded to that. But uh, the WTIF network is back on the air, um, and uh, we're back to doing our news. Um, every uh, we try to do <laughs> now that we're mm -hmm. back to regular time. Um, once a week, we do a regular show with the What the If show, which is uh, you know about an hour where we do a thought experiment each week. And then we have this other thing, WTIF News, which is pretty much a coronavirus-related thing. Um, began when our guest uh, expert, Gabby Panicia, who is here from Rockefeller University. Gabby, how are you? I am doing good. Nice. So G Gabby came on and we did a bunch of shows. If you go to our website, whattheif.com, you can go back and you can see um, we did uh, several shows, maybe three or four, uh, all about the virus with uh, Gabby's incredible help. Um, and then we kind of spawned this other shorter little weekly update thing on, on the virus. And we look at news stories and then uh, Gabby helps us understand what's going on in the science between the lines uh, behind the, the the news story. And sometimes we also, as we will today, we're going to get an update from the lab itself where Gabby works uh, at Rockefeller, Rockefeller University and see how the virus is uh, or is not uh, affecting progress there. Um, so let's get right to the news story real quick. Uh, this is from um, The Atlantic. I'm just going to read a little excerpt here uh, via Apple News, where I found it. And the headline, oh, sorry, the, um, the reporter is Ed Young from The Atlantic, and the headline is Testing Negative for Antibodies Doesn't, okay, Testing Negative for Antibodies Doesn't Mean, quote, You Didn't Have COVID-19, Survey of Coronavirus Long Haulers Suggests. Long haulers, um, <laughs> which is interesting to me, actually. I realized I tested negative for antibodies, and I am quite certain I had the coronavirus mm -hmm. uh, quite early on, actually, which was a little confusing to me. So um, here's, here's a little excerpt real quick. Uh, So-called coronavirus, quote, long haulers, who are patients who suffer from COVID-19 symptoms for an extended period of time, are causing the medical community to reevaluate the disease, Ed Young reports for The Atlantic. For instance, many studies have found that COVID-19 patients produce antibodies that appear to last months as a result of their infection. But The Atlantic notes that most of these studies focused either on hospitalized patients or those who had mild symptoms and swift recoveries. 
long haulers appear to be in a slightly different category in which their bouts with the virus are defined more by its persistence rather than its severity. At least one survey led by uh, David Putrino, a neuroscientist and rehabilitation specialist at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York, that's down here, uh, found that despite having symptoms consistent with COVID-19, nearly two-thirds of the 1,400 patients received negative results on their antibody test. Let's read that again. So, despite having symptoms consistent with COVID-19, such as I did, yeah. uh, nearly two-thirds um, of, of those patients received negative results on their antibody tests. And Gabby's going to help us understand what that means. But uh, last paragraph, while there have been suggestions that long haulers are not, in fact, suffering from a coronavirus, some people have suggested it's not a virus, Putrino and others have grown increasingly certain that is the case. One patient whose long haul case was detailed in the Atlantic tested positive for the virus twice before testing negative for antibodies. Quote, just because you're negative for antibodies doesn't mean you didn't have COVID-19, Petrino said. And uh, you can read more at The Atlantic. Um, so, Gabby, what's, what's going on? First of all, antibodies. Let's just address that real fast. So people don't know what that is. Like, yes. if, if people don't know, what is, what is that? So antibodies are proteins produced by your body, essentially in reaction to an infection. And they recognize some particular site on whatever foreign pathogen it is, whether or not it's a virus, a bacteria, and it recruits stuff to it, kills it. That's kind of the long and short of it. And okay. your body can crank out a lot of these. It's not immediate. It, there's sort of a delay because it takes a while for you know, the two waves of your immune system to properly sound the alarm. But they do kick in and they are pretty effective. This is why you know, colds don't last you two weeks because after a certain point, your antibody response, your immune uh, adaptive immune response kicks in and kicks its butt. Now, and the your name body is doesn't produce them until uh, it senses the intruder, virus or bacteria or something like that. So you have some circulating antibodies. Usually the ones that we're probably most familiar with is the circulating antibodies that are kept around when you get a vaccine. Uh, so for uh, example, you have to get, what is it, a tetanus shot every 10 years or something like that? Something like that, yeah. But, yeah, so... Essentially, the amount of antibodies that you have circulating drops over the 10 years. And so by 10 years or whatever, then you need to get another one, essentially a booster to remind your body, hey, we need this. And then just kick back up in a, a production. Uh, but you do have cells that sort of maintain the, the memory of how to make that antibody. They're called memory B cells. And they will stick around your whole life. Or at least they should, barring some immunology catastrophe. Uh, so... Ideally, you can get infected with something once, and even if your level of circulating antibodies isn't high and you have some lingering symptoms for a little bit, it will eventually kick back in and prevent you from, again, being sick for a really long amount of time or as severe as it may have been the first time. It's amazing. It's like yeah. the body keeps a, a record. It's like, oh, we know you. It's like you oh, yeah. know, the, the, like, uh, like the police or something. It's like, well, oh, we recognize this guy. <laughs> One of the things that I think is also really fun is that, you know, when you're, when you're born, your, your immune system kind of randomizes, essentially. Uh, and you will have cells that recognize what we call epitopes or sites on some potential pathogen that may not actually ever exist. Huh. 
And it's purely the result of this randomization. But it's really fascinating because essentially it means that at any given time, you might have some proportion of the population who's resistant to some virus or bacterium that doesn't exist yet. That might not exist. That's amazing. Yeah. And might not ever exist. But of course, it's, you know, you can only as one person hold so many different variations of these from the get go. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of randomized, but it's sort of a human population defense against all of us being wiped out by the same thing, or hopefully defense against all of us being wiped out by the same thing. I love Uh, it. Our bodies kind of shuffle the deck right from the start. huh? mm -hmm. Yep. That's amazing. And and it's funny because antibodies, it's it's a little bit of a confusing name because it is actually very pro-body. <laughs> yes. <laughs> pro your body. But antibodies, I guess, means that it's a body that is anti- Anti-invasive body. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, what now the story here, what it's saying is that, uh, and again, my, my personal experience was I actually, in, in um, I had been in Seattle. Uh, the very end of January 2020. And while I was there, there was a report that one person in Seattle, which was one person in the entire country, showed up with the virus. And there was a person who had visited uh, Wuhan, China. And that was all we knew at that time. Um, I got, I came home to New York. So hopefully I am not patient zero of New York. <laughs> But I came back to New York and, uh, you know, shortly after I got home, so early February, I got really sick for two weeks and I had all these weird symptoms. It wasn't so weird that I thought, oh, you know, this is some crazy, I just thought it was the flu. But one of the weirdest things was that I couldn't smell. And I just Hmm. thought, I don't know, this is like, I don't know, extra congestion or something. I just you know, and it wasn't until much later that people started talking about that. So going back and reviewing my symptoms, and, and in fact, Matt, you um, had a family member who had it as well. That's right. And she talked about her symptoms, and I was like, yes, I had a lot of those same symptoms, and she, she knows she did have it for sure. Uh, anyway, so I'm convinced. So as soon as uh, the testing for antibodies became available, I went and uh, got tested, and it came back negative. So it was confusing. But what they're saying here is that a whole lot of people um, are having that symptom. And in particular, they're talking about long haulers. So just kind of give us, bring us up to date on what is this, what's going on here, Gabby? Yeah. So in general, bar none, the immune system is complicated. Uh, <laughs> I really just want to shout out another article from Ed Young. Immunology is where intuition goes to die. And <laughs> I, I highly recommend it. It is very accessible. It's, it's long, it's on the longer side. But it's so, so right. And I, I don't know how much I've talked about it on here, but every time I read an immunology paper, it is T-cell alphabet soup vomit. I, I cannot. Wow. It's, it's like reading something that's not English. It's, it's very difficult because it's, it is an extremely, extremely complex system that reacts extremely variably. Studying it in one context could prove completely null and void in another context. It's really complicated that is my 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 bar none and so what is it that makes it complicated is just the the, the number of pieces so many moving parts Mm -hmm. and a lot of stuff is not a binary on off it is a scale of reaction coupled with um you know there's this innate immune system too that reacts first and just interactions between innate, adaptive, both of them have so much stuff going on. It's such an ancient system. 
but also has, you know, more newer human components. It's, I, yeah, it's chaotic. It's so many proteins involved, so many different (laughs) cell types, so many different locations in the body. It's very complicated. But that's like, I don't want to give the impression that scientists don't know anything about it. It's just that it's not as simple as we're going to find the truth about this thing because there may not ever be one concrete, infallible, single, every case truth when you're talking about the immune system. So, wow. so, about- so I should say, so are you surprised by this news story that um, people can not have antibodies for long periods of time then? Yeah, so I'm not really that surprised, but it kind of depends on a couple of different things. So there might be some things that they mean by this. So they're talking about negative four antibodies in the sense that someone had to get a test for this. So there is a certain inherent sensitivity in the test. And you may have some level of antibodies, but not a high level that's circulating. So Phil, in your case, you got tested for antibodies, what, like four or five months after you got sick? Uh, yeah, well, actually it was probably as soon as the testing became available, but yeah, it was probably three months. at least. Yeah. And you had a pretty mild case. So chances were, even if you did develop any neutralizing antibodies, essentially stuff that could bind to the virus and flag down cells that would eat it and destroy it, you might not have a high enough level of them for them to be detected by the test. So that's one Um, option. Two, some people might not develop effective antibodies, but they might have something whether or not having an ineffective anti or a less effective antibody is going to at all help you, I don't think we really know yet. There are some cases in virology where having a less effective antibody is actually detrimental. Uh, so in the case of dengue, if you get infected by a different strain of it later after you've already been exposed once, uh, I think it's dengue. Dengue or yellow fever? I think dengue. I'm going to go with dengue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's a flavy virus. Um, and... When you get infected the second time, it's actually a lot worse. The the risks of higher complications are a lot worse, essentially, because the antibodies cloak the virus and let it sneak through further. So I think the... (laughs) Yeah. So with the long haulers, they probably are negative for antibodies. They probably don't have anything that's neutralizing the virus successfully. But I think a lot of the symptoms are probably coming from stuff that the virus did over the course of maybe the original infection, uh-huh. uh, which might be causing stuff. Again, the immune system is wild. So a lot of this might be immune complications resulting from your immune system basically getting slapped across the face with this thing when it doesn't know what to do with it. Well, it's strange. I guess it seems like one of the reasons people are confused by long haulers, meaning people who have the symptoms longer than two weeks, which is what seems to be common. Uh, for me, it was about two, two and a half weeks. Um, so these are months and months and months and months they've had it and it won't go away. Um, it seems like it's not something as simple as like, oh, well, clearly the, the virus damaged their lungs and that's what they're dealing with, right? It's some kind of mystery as to why they still have these symptoms. Well, I mean, there's some parts where I can definitely see where it's coming in from. So we do this virus a bit of a disservice by calling it a respiratory virus. So yes, that is how it spreads. It is, you know, breathed in um, and exhaled. But it seems to have pretty systemic effects. I mean, there are some people with heart problems from this. You see uh, an interesting blood clotting effect where that I think that caused strokes in some people. You are dealing with sustained low brain oxygen content, which 
think about that. You, you, you don't have oxygen or a lot of oxygen to your brain for two weeks. Your brain kind of needs to function. You are like, I mean, to boil your body down to its essentials, you are what, like a two, three pound brain, whatever, piloting a skeleton. That's really what you are. <laughs> All right. That's, so, okay, I'm willing to accept that. It's a great description. If you're starving that, it's, it's really not good for you. Um, might have just lowballed the weight of our brains. Uh, don't want anyone to think I have. A, well, it depends. You know, I, I, have, I have no idea. Might have to talk to my roommate and see if she'll yell at me about this. She's a neuroscientist. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so people who are saying they're having trouble focusing, I, I've read accounts from people who are saying that they just couldn't. They would lose words. They just wouldn't be able to think of the right word. They knew what they're trying to yeah. say, but they couldn't get it out mm-hmm. for weeks and weeks after. You know, again, because uh, your brain is starved of oxygen. Um, so it's, I, I definitely see a lot of this is coming from the whole cocktail of cell types that this is infecting. Because it ACE2 is basically everywhere. It's a very common, or a more common receptor than ACE2 I guess you is. might think. Exactly. That, that's the entry receptor for it. So it's essentially uh, what coronavirus binds to to get into your cells. Right. So right. it's in your nose, it's in your gut, it's in your lungs. So th- that's a pretty wide variety of things. Um, you mentioned, uh, we'll wrap up this little section on the uh, immune system conundrum. Uh, with You mentioned, uh, might have been before the show, I can't remember, it's all one thing. For me, life is a show. <laughs> uh, it's all being recorded. Um, you mentioned that some people to say uh, they talk about things that will or maybe come in an advertisement. This will boost your Im- immune system. Oh, oh. So tell us, tell oh, us yeah. how, how can I, here's my question. How can I boost my immune system? Uh, you can't. Oh, nuts. Woefully. Yeah, so that's kind of a, a, a fallacy. It, it doesn't really make much sense scientifically with the way that immune systems work. And so... Think about when you get just like a regular run-of-the-mill cold, not talking about coronavirus right now. Your nose is runny. You might have a headache, stuff like that. That's not really caused by the cold. That's caused by your body, by inflammation, by your response to this. Hmm. The problem is, is that you need those responses. You need some of that like inflammation or whatever, but you don't want it dialed up to 11. Because if it is, then you have an autoimmune disorder and that's not really good. Um, So imagine like, if you're dialing up the response to a basic cold, you'd be just like knocked into a coma, like snot everywhere, like major <laughs> headache. Like, like imagine how much worse that would be if, you know, you just multiplied your symptoms by two because your immune system ramped up way, way, way more than it's supposed to. What's funny is, I don't know what this is about me, but the coma part didn't scare me in the slightest. It's not <laughs> everywhere. That yeah. was terrifying. But it's, if it's not everywhere in the coma. It's a little bit better. Oh my goodness. Um, the dignity, your dignity is just shot. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's one of these things that it's, there are studies out there that might be like, this component from this food is used by a cell in the immune system. And then that gets twisted a lot of like, eat this and you'll never get sick again. Like you see that with probiotics and stuff like that, which I have my own potential beef with the whole probiotics thing again yeah, but science, it sounds like it's, the, the way people talk about vitamins a lot right so you yeah. need a certain amount of vitamins to be healthy and people think that means massive doses of vitamins will make you extra healthy but it's yeah, just no. a, a lack problem right if you don't have the vitamin you'll get sick but yeah exactly and so really 
One, you don't want to overboost your immune system because the immune system is, again, it is a fine balance. It's not, it's not an on-off per se. But when it's off, you really want it to stay off. And mm-hmm. when it's on, you want it to be able to turn back off again. It's right. sort of what I would come at this. So when I see people say stuff about like, well, you know, in the meantime, before we have a vaccine, we ought to be boosting our immune systems. It's like kind of snake oil. <laughs> There's- although, although if it, to... to if- Here's part of what makes this, I guess, confusing is some of these things they do kind of border. There's a half truth to it that uh, doesn't a vaccine boost the immune system in the sense it boosts it boost maybe boosts its effectiveness, but, not but only amount. in a very specific context. Right. This is what I was saying before about how the immune system is is very specific and responses. There are some uniform responses in the innate immune system, but the adaptive. Immune system is adaptive. It's fighting variable things. Its response to one thing may not be exactly the same as its response to the other. So you don't want to just unilaterally boost everything. And what a vaccine uh, does is making you have a, a good response to one very specific thing. You can't get that with kombucha. It's- <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. But are you also saying that these things that say they boost the immune system actually don't boost the immune system anyway? They, they might be good for general health, but this uh-huh. whole idea of boosting your immune system is inherently a, a fallacy, like a, a logical fallacy. It's the immune system is not something you can just hit the gas on, per right, se. Right, 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 like, right. Like I said, right. giving your body the nutrients it needs to be able to fight it off so you don't have a nutrient deficiency is right. good. That's fine. But the idea that you can consume something that might be the reason why you don't die of coronavirus is really not not right unless it's you know a vaccine right it's, right. it's all, almost sounds like you're giving like say you have firemen uh, uh, you know <laughs> a fireman a team of firemen uh fire people and uh you give them a bunch of things like we're going to boost the fire department but you're just giving them random stuff like here's a bouquet of flowers yeah it's, <laughs> you know that's, right. that's a kind of boost but probably right. not what you're looking here's yeah. a can of gasoline and it's like, sure, you may help, like, you know, boost the morale a little bit by bringing right. them a plate of cookies. But at the end of the day, that plate of cookies is not going to really, really make the difference between them fighting the fire. The vaccine right. is a little bit more like giving them the fire truck. That will help. Yes. Yes. Very interesting. All right. Um, so lastly, uh, before we uh, uh, wrap up, you, uh, you. You go into a lab every day. So for those who don't know, you, you, you're at Rockefeller University, which is a research institution, and you go into a lab every day. And because of coronavirus, they just like every other place uh, where people have to gather, um, there have been all kinds of new protocols. There's fewer people working there. You, you wear masks, I guess? Oh, 100% all the time. Right, right. And um, so the, you were saying recently there's been a development that was surprising. Yeah, so someone in the lab did get sick, which we've had a couple. We've had a couple of cases of people in the community, like the Rockefeller community at large, getting sick. For the most part, people are pretty good, and if they've gotten sick, it's come from like a family member who works somewhere else. Generally, mm-hmm. um, but this is our first unknown. We're not a hundred percent sure uh, where this person got sick, and you know, everyone sort of in the lab just kind of like looked at each other from six feet away uh, and was like, <laughs> "That's that's an issue," uh, but. You know, it's it's really interesting because we were talking about this and 
first of all, we're, we're all getting tested today. Like 40-something of us are running to OHS at various staggered times to just <laughs> go spit in a tube and get the results back tomorrow or Monday. Um, but, I, you know, fortunately, I don't feel too worried because at any given point, we're six feet or further apart. We don't even pass each other in the hallways. Like, literally, I, I walk out of a room and I do like a look both ways, like I'm crossing the street and then wow. go down a hallway. Wow. Uh, I, I feel a little bit like, you know, when you turn two magnets to is it the same pole, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's yeah, a little bit what it, what it feels like walking around the hallways. Cause you get to a hallway and, or like a corner and you realize there's someone else there. And so you back up as far as you can to let them get to where they need to go. It's, wow. it's wonky, but you know, our lab operates at like half capacity. People are coming in at all weird times to be separate from each other. I used to work in a part of the lab I call the crevice, which was, <laughs> it, it was literally like a very, very, very long, thin hallway at the very back corner of the lab behind our like walk-in freezer. And it was like 12 feet, but only one person wide. It was the weirdest space I've ever worked in. Huh. Um, and it was just like a little depresso because people would just peek back there and then be like, oh, someone, someone lives here. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's, we, we definitely have done a good job. So I'm not too worried. Most of the lab isn't too worried, but it's very interesting that it's, it's a little bit more real is yeah. for the most part, this has been a pretty safe work, workplace. You know, you trust scientists generally to uh, comport themselves well around a, a virus. Well, you trust virologists to comport themselves virologists, well around a virus. Right. Yeah, the geologists, <laughs> yeah. forget it. Yeah, yeah the, the yeah. geologists might not be your best bet. Although perhaps the geologists, I, I like. They would be in that hall looking for dinosaur bones. Which honestly, I I feel like that's also a good safe habit. You're out in what, in like the Dakotas, yep. in the middle Perfect. of nowhere. Yep, yep. Death Valley uh, mining for rocks. And actually, it sounds like this is the system working. Let's say, hopefully, you know, everyone comes back and everyone else is still uh, negative uh, for the virus. This is how the system is supposed to work because the whole point is that you don't know, you know, whether somebody might come in with the virus, but you oh, yeah. can keep it from spreading. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so this is also what they talk about, about like surveillance testing. There wasn't a reason why this guy went in. He, he's, he's asymptomatic. So oh, he just went and got tested because mm -hmm. we have very available testing. So, I mean, Rockefeller is sort of an ideal microcosm of what we wish so many other things could be. We have mm -hmm. our occupational health, which is sort of our contact tracers, our in-house health department kind of, and they run kind of in and out testing stuff. We have a clinical lab here that's running all of the samples. They develop the test themselves. Um, so I don't think it's technically FDA approved, but like we trust ourselves, so we're using it. Um, and it's kind of safer for Rockefeller people, community to go to Rockefeller where there's fewer, there's a fewer density of people and to say go sure. to some minute clinic kind of deal. And because we live on campus, they have all of our information and stuff like that. They can contact trace us within the building and then right. essentially be like, hey, this particular building is, or this particular apartment or whatever is on lockdown. And then they check on us and I think, you know, bring you food or whatever. So it's, it's an ideal microcosm. It's like a good little system of how it should work. And yeah, the fact that the surveillance testing clearly did reveal an issue and all of us are immediately going to get tested and going to see, you know, what's happening is, is really important. Yeah, that's great. It'll be interesting to find out if he's able to figure out where he may have gotten it. Yeah, that's well, right. You guys, uh, will they do contact testing? 
Yeah, so that's that's part of what it is. So the the first people who were contacted were the people who worked anywhere close to that person, even if they, again, staggered shifts and stuff like that. So they weren't any closer than six feet. Um, And then I think they're also doing just additional contact tracing from there. But we were actually joking around about it and we're wondering, so that guy's on the, the COVID team, but he's working with a lot of DNA. So not anything that's really like infectious, not any virus particles. So we were wondering if Maybe it's like technically a false positive by yeah, accident of right? it would amplify any DNA or RNA, I guess, that was there. And this is a person who works with coronavirus genetic material. So there's a chance, but <laughs> interesting. Okay. it might be a peril of the field, but who knows? Like I said, we're, we're all getting tested. Uh, so we'll, we'll see whether or not it's it, it spread. We're all looking at each other like, you have the plague? Yeah. You have the plague? <laughs> yeah. Right on. So, yeah, so so stay tuned. This is a great cliffhanger for next week, so stay tuned. We'll find out what's happening. Um, Matt, how are you? Everything's uh, fine with you? Uh, I actually got my first COVID test yesterday as well and came back negative, so all is well for the moment. Woo-hoo. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. Um, and uh, school is, you, you were saying that, like many, many, many schools, things are still uncertain or constantly in flux as yep. to what's going to happen. That's right, so we'll see. Stay tuned. Um, well, thank you both. It's good to be back. Um, I'm glad to learn that. Uh, what was your expression for immun- <laughs> immunology? It Where was, intuition goes to die. Where <laughs> intuition goes to die. <laughs> I think that should be our show. <laughs> well, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where, it, uh, where intuition goes to be reborn. <laughs> um, so uh, write us in. Write us in. Write us or send in any questions you have. You can email us at feedback at whattheif.com or just go to our website, whattheif.com. And there's a little uh, section on the upper right of the page there. You can just type your name and uh, write a message and hit send. Uh, or you can go to whattheif.com slash contact. Uh, also on Twitter, whattheifshow. And uh, we'll, I'll be back there attending to all this sort of stuff. And we're all all science all the time once again. So. Um, um, excited to keep the things going again. The what the if show, we have some great ones coming up, so stay tuned for that in your same feed. If you could leave us a review, that would be amazing. Whatever podcast service you are using, whatever app you're using with Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, or Overcast, or any of those things, um, leave us a review. That really helps new people uh, find the show. So um, we will be back. With more intuition. Or lack thereof. Or lack thereof. Ready to die or live. Whoa. (laughs) Who knows? Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.